Welcome to another podcast of stories and innovations in ALS with Lisa Deegan and I'm McFinn Levere from Everything ALS. Welcome to the Stories and Innovations in ALS episode number six, A Brother's Legacy and a Sister's Love. My name is Lisa Deegan and I am joined today with McFinn Levere. We're storytellers who have both been affected by ALS. We're joined today with our guest, Deb Fabricator. She is the Director of Patient Advocacy at Everything ALS. Our mission is to bring stories to of those affected by ALS and to share their journey and to share their efforts of those who are investigating and innovating to find a cure for this devastating disease and other rare diseases. Our mission at everythingals.org is to leverage technology with the goal of a quicker diagnosis and, an, and, a more pro, and a more accurate prognosis of ALS. For those who don't know exactly what ALS is, it's a motor neuron disease that causes loss of muscle, such as walking, talking, and eventually breathing. And on average, people live two and a half, two to five years with ALS, and there is no cure. We're excited to have Deb as our guest today. She's been an advocate for many years as she lost her brother to ALS. So thank you, Deb, um, so much for being here with us today and sharing your personal story and your journey with us. Um, let's get let's get to us. Tell us, Deb, please, how, how ALS entered your life. And can you please share more about your brother, Johnny, with us? Sure, sure. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, McFinn. So ALS uh, entered our life as it does many others out of the clear blue sky. My younger brother, Johnny, um, came to visit us one day, my daughter and I with his family. And I noticed that he was walking funny and his arms looked a little off, just something was a little off. And I sat down with him on the couch and I said, what's going on with you? And he goes, we don't know yet. And they had just begun seeing the doctors and that very long journey of getting diagnosed. Um, with John, his diagnosis didn't take the 12 or 18 months that it does many people because he had a very aggressive form of ALS. So after uh, a few months, they were able to diagnose his disease. And that was our entree into a, a club that nobody wants to be a member of. Yeah. So he was one of the few that, that do get diagnosed early because most people wait a year or more. Correct. So at least you, uh, was it Bulbar that he had? Or um, just an aggressive form? Just a very aggressive form, yeah. Um, but I've to. You had asked me to tell you about my brother, Johnny, and I was thinking about that. And there's so much to tell. Uh, he was such a wonderful man that I thought if I could take a couple minutes and I thought the best way to maybe describe him would be to read a little bit of what I wrote for his memorial service. Would awesome. that be okay? So, um, and so I'll do that now. It is often the little things that move us the most. My baby brother, John, was born October 19th, 1959. Back in the day, women stayed in the hospital for almost a week after giving birth. 
So just a few days or so before my fifth birthday, my dad's big blue car pulled in front of our house. My dad stepped out and around the car and held the back door open. Out came my mother with a white cardboard bassinet with pink and blue stripes. She held out the box for me to see my new baby brother, Johnny. When I looked in and saw him, I was certain that he was my birthday present. The reality is that from that day forward, he was a gift, a true gift, not just to me, but to all of his friends and family. No one knows exactly how long we will live, but eventually all that will be left of each of us is the pride our children or loved one have when they speak our name. It is because of that belief I know how very much John is left here with us. Paulo Coelho shared a belief that when it is our time, God will ask only you one question, did you love enough? We all know John's answer, which was evident in all who crossed his path whether in an intimate way or simply a chance encounter. I remember Victor telling us the story of going to a Yankee game with John. He said there was a very elderly couple sitting in front of them. And before he knew it, John was massaging this much older woman's shoulders while her husband looked on smiling. The next thing Vic knew, this woman was giving John an enormous meatball sub to eat as Vic looked on enviously. John had that famous or infamous boy grin on his face. He touched all that he met. His honesty and absolute pure goodness emanated from him always. Most of all, Johnny loved his family, the family he was born to and the family he created. That love is his legacy, a legacy that can transcend to all of us. We can experience it when we put aside small and large hurts and allow love in. When we pick up the phone to call a friend or family member, when we speak in loving terms of those who we do not understand or disagree with, and when we make those difficult decisions that take us on the moral high road, when we choose a path that is kinder and when money is in our motivation. This is how we can keep Johnny's spirit with us, and this is the legacy of Johnny that we can choose to pass on. So I'll stop there. There was more that was more personal to our family, but I think that gives you an insight into my brother, who is an extremely successful man and so honest and good and loving as the day is long. And I think that he, he really did leave a tremendous legacy. So I was able to retired from my job a little early. So I was available to help care for him. And that too was a gift. Wow, Deb, that's, you know, when it's somebody in your family, it's actually you that it's happening to. So I, I know how dear your brother was to you and how much you did to help him. And it, I mean, were, were you the primary caregiver for your brother? No, um, my brother was married. Um, so his wife, uh, although she did work because she um, was able to keep the medical benefits that way, uh, he lived in New York State, so I would go for a week or two weeks at a time, go home for a week, go back and forth. Well, that's, the, um, did your brother's wife take care of herself by bringing in other help? Are you aware of that? 
Yes, there there were. Yes, we no, there were uh, three other uh, home health care workers that helped because my brother was 100% locked in and needed 24-7 care. So Deb, you and I have both talked about this. I lost my younger brother as well. And we were both caregivers on, on some level. You know, maybe we did different things, but we both were there for our brothers. So um, how did you, because I mean, I could so relate to going through this journey, um, even though maybe our experiences were similar but different, like how did you keep your strength and your spirits up while you were going through this with your brother? That's a really great question, Lisa. And I don't think that anyone always keeps their spirits up during this journey. It's, it's one that I've always found inexplicable. I think that for people who don't live this journey, it's always been almost impossible for me to capture the words to really describe it. But one of the things that I can tell you, as I think only siblings understand, I think that that sibling relationship is so unique and so special. And one of the things that Johnny and I did share was our sense of humor. So when, I mean, one of the things that we, no matter how sick he was, we would laugh together. You know, I mean, we had kind of a silly sense of humor and, um, you know, not everybody understood it, but I mean, we would just really laugh every day. So, and that could be a challenge too, because you have to think, of, you know, funny things or, or funny things would just come to you. I don't know, but that's, did you see that's so great that that's so great that you could find some humor while going through such a horrific and hard time. Mm -hmm. I can completely relate to that. And we tried to laugh with my brother and find the joy, little joys in things just to keep almost like not pretending that it's not happening, but just how can we still enjoy life? That's right. so I, I can appreciate that you guys would still find the joy in the laughter. Mm -hmm. When they say that a person has ALS, then we realize that the whole family has ALS if they really care because they're so involved. Deb, did you, did you find yourself prepared to be helping your brother with ALS? What, was there something in your life previously that you did that turned you into such a um, reliable, caring person? I think that my basic personality as a special education teacher and a, just a very empathic uh, person, you know, just leads me to sometimes caregiving roles. I think much like my previous answer, I don't think there's anything in the world that can prepare you for this journey, but I can liken it a little bit to many many, many years ago when uh, the AIDS virus hit the scene in our country and people were so frightened of it and people were losing jobs and their health insurance and gosh, even funeral homes were 
refusing to bury people and a dear friend and colleague of mine had contracted the virus and most of the people surrounding him left me except for a, a small group and I ended up being one of his caretakers and I saw the power the absolute power of advocacy groups back then and so although I don't think that prepared me for my personal journey with my brother which was quite different I think it just was just another facet of my life that involved caregiving and advocacy uh, well, Deb, speaking about advocacy, you've been very active and um, giving a lot of your time um, and energy to helping others with ALS. Um, I don't know if it was happening while your brother had ALS, but I know after his passing, you've been very active. So do you want to share some of your advocacy efforts that you've been involved with? And we'd sure. love to hear about your efforts with our speech study as well. Sure, sure. So I can tell you that while my brother was sick, um, before he passed away, I didn't really do much advocacy. And his death, although expected, was extremely traumatic because he was the last living member of my birth family. My parents and my other two brothers had died very young. So it was a lot, a lot to take in. Um, and my family very quickly dwindled to my daughter and I. So I just happened to have been online uh, reading something about uh, a person who was doing a movie who had ALS, Patrick O'Brien. He had made the movie Trans Fatty Lives and I had uh, donated to that uh, previously, but I contacted him and we ended up going to the TDI White Coat Affair, which is a fundraiser in Boston. And we you know, went for his birthday. And, and that kind of got me involved because I was sitting next to a woman who runs an, a nonprofit that helps people. And we were talking and talking. And I thought, gee, this is something I would like to get involved in. So we're in Boston, I live in New Jersey, and it turns out this woman lives right up the road from me in New Jersey. So mm -hmm. definitely felt it was meant to be. And that's the uh, a Hark ALS organization that was named after her dad. And that's, uh, so I ended up doing a major fundraiser in memory of my brother to benefit Hark once a year and just doing advocacy work with various groups online helping people individually. And then I got a call from Indu Navar one day and she told me about this brainchild uh, organization she had in mind and invited me. And just after talking to her for five minutes, I, I knew that that too was a, a, a good fit and a right fit and where the direction of my life needed to go. Wow. Well, we're lucky to have you. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how the pieces of the puzzle fall together. And I so, know, right? yeah. So, Deb, what's happening with your speech project that you're working on? So, the, the speech project is very, very exciting. As you all know, we're all trying to uh, get our participants. There's been indication that speech can give us 
information for early diagnosis and a biomarker and everything ALS uh, is has created uh, this study that really is, I think, monumental because of the amount of people. Oftentimes studies with ALS have much fewer people and therefore, you know, results that may not be positive. It doesn't necessarily mean they wouldn't have gotten positive results, but there's just not enough people to capture all the, the you know, the different types of ALS and, and people who have it. So this study with a thousand participants is very exciting. The other part that I think is really exciting is that it's really in some ways leading the way in collaboration and open data because our, our data is going to be open to all the ALS researchers currently. We have relationships with Mass General Harvard, MIT, Austin UT, Google Euphonia, uh, MISO, and any of the other large or small researchers who want to use the data, it is open to. And we know that we don't know where that answer is going to come from, whether it's going to come from one scientist working alone or a big group of scientists that have been collaborating and hopefully everyone will collaborate and we'll get the answers we're looking for to push forward and get people treatment and cure for this disease. Well, the exciting thing is our study is already showing results. We can't really talk yet about what's happening, but it, what we are doing is working and that that's the good news so we need to get more participation right from people and you've been doing what a ton of onboarding right correct correct yeah so we do so i do the onboarding and the orientation for the program and i do a lot of uh inviting people to participate in this study and be part of the answer to this to really take 10 minutes of their time per week. And that's really all it is on this very user-friendly, your own schedule uh, to, to be part of something huge that will make a difference in many, many people's lives, hopefully. And that's our aim. And I believe that it will. It is so nice that it's all inclusive where, not all inclusive, but there's no exclusion criteria. Unlike most clinical trials, a lot of people are excluded. You know, so if people have limb onset, right, or bulbar, they can join our study. Well, the, study and the criteria for the study is to really just be, as you said, over 18, have a United States address. We would like to have 500 people not diagnosed with the disease, 500 people diagnosed with the disease. Um, and right now we're, you know, we, we're getting people signing up and but we need more to hit that number mm -hmm. and we particularly need males who are not diagnosed although everyone you know don't think that we don't want you know but we're a little short on, on that particular subgroup yeah and where are we at with families because it's good to have if you've had somebody like i'm a participant in the study mm -hmm. because i had a brother so are we getting a lot of family members? Um, We're getting that are across the board, uh, you know, uh, a sampling of family members, people who have the genetic mutation, people who have uh, sporadic onset, 
Uh, and as far as the non-diagnosed, as I said, we, we're getting people of all ages, uh, genders, nationalities, people with accents, not accents. So it's really a very inclusive study that I think for the user friendliness of it, 10 minutes a week, as I said, on your own schedule, it's really unique. You don't have to travel anywhere. You're doing it from your own home. And it's something that can really make a person feel good. You're really, really making a difference. And I think that you not only make a difference on the scientific level, oftentimes ALS is a very isolating disease. People feel forgotten. They're you know, they're in their home, they don't sometimes get out much, and they really, you know, don't feel that people are recognizing they're there. Uh, and I've heard this. So one of the great joys of the work that I'm doing is that I talk with people every day who have ALS, many people who are diagnosed that for a while, and I get to tell them, you know, here's this person who who doesn't have a family member with ALS, but they just heard about the study and, and they're signing up. You know, I mean, people from all walks of life. Uh, I just had uh, a group of people from a dinner party, all six of them signed up right off the bat. I mean, so it's just really nice to have not only make a difference in the scientific community for the treatment and cure, but really to make a personal difference in a person's daily life. Well, what do people need to do to uh, sign up? So you could go to everythingals.org, click on the research button and go to the speech study, or you could just go to everythingals.org slash research. Wow. Deb, it sounds like all of the energy that you're putting into this project is, uh, is energizing you. How how are you using that energy? And what I'm really asking is, how are you keeping your energy up during this? That's a good question, McFinn. And I, I don't know that I have a great answer for that other than, uh, other than to use this very, very overused word of passionate. I mean, I've, I've always been you know, I loved my career. I've always loved young people, working with young people, but I don't think I have ever felt quite as passionate about anything else. And yourself, Lisa, the rest of the Everything ALS team, amazing, amazing people to work with. And I think that honestly, we energize each other. I think that we at the Everything ALS team uh, that is also a unique dynamic where we have so much to offer each other. And as far as support and energy and good vibes all around. I, well, that's, that's for sure. Do you find this journey has changed you, you know, in some way, shape or form? If what, Lisa? I'm sorry. I do feel, you know, has this journey, because I look back and I, I think about these things for myself. So I'm asking you what I ask myself. How, how have you changed, if at all, um, the, the, because of what you've been through? Right, yeah, no, of course, the ALS journey, I don't think anyone 
is not changed by it. I think no one is unscathed by it. Uh, but I think that there's also, at least for me, an appreciation for life that I have never had. You know, I, I've always been a person who lived in gratitude, but there is, I mean, the, all those little sayings that you hear, stop and smell the roses, they take on a, a much deeper uh, meaning. And I think that and it's also brought me to some of the saddest depths of grief that I've ever felt. Uh, you know, I losing my baby brother to this disease, seeing what he had to go through. I really had to sometimes compartmentalize thoughts in my mind because it was too difficult. But on the other hand, you know, like I said, I, I am here and, uh, and I do believe personally that there's going to be a day that my brother will be reunited with his family and, and will be reunited with, you know, and I'll be reunited with, you know, the rest of my family who are my guardian angels right now. That is a wonderful watch way. over my daughter and I. That that's a wonderful way to, to look at what's happening with you now with your daughter, with your brother, who is, who is cozy right now with the rest of the family. I think having that, that uh, faith that life goes on is really uh, uh, an energy that propels each of us that when things get really tough, there is, there is an end game called pure love. And I think that that's where we're all headed. I think each of us has a journey, you know, lots of people don't have ALS, but they have something else that's terrifying them. And so mm -hmm. this, this disease can be translated into so many other diseases and what it all comes Yeah. I, you know, it's funny when you said that you just reminded me of something. I had a very dear friend, her name was Ursula Powell. She died two years ago, she was a Holocaust survivor. And we would always talk about how pain and grief is relative. I would go and talk with her. She was much, much older than me. Um, and I would sometimes say, oh, Ursula, I shouldn't be complaining to you of all people. And she would stop me and say, no, you know, you, you pain is relative. My past was my past. And I think you're right. I think that everybody does. You know, there are many diseases, many rare diseases. This is the one that affected our life and, and it put us on together on this everything ALS team. And I do think there's a reason that I'm the, you know, the, the, the survivor of my family, the cheese that stands alone with my daughter. And I think that we're all here to make a difference. You know, we have, we're here because our work on earth isn't done yet. I mean, I don't know how I'll be reunited, whether it'll just be in a form of energy or love, as you say, but I do believe that we will be. But in the meantime, we're here to, to, to do some work and to love life. You know, we're not here just to be sad and sorrowful. I mean, it's a beautiful world and life life can be really beautiful so we we have to balance it definitely gives us a sense of purpose in keeping our loved ones alive that's mm -hmm. for sure 
it's a beautiful thing, um, Deb and, and Lisa, that both of you had a family member pass away that they propelled you into this organization. You know, we, none of us, I think, would be here unless it was a personal, a personal mission that we all wanted to complete. So right. it's a real yeah. honor to be on your team, Deb. Oh, thank you. And I feel the same. And I think that Lisa can attest to this. I think that when a sibling passes away, it is such a unique loss that society doesn't always recognize because here you had this person, either you knew them every moment of their life, or they knew you every moment of your life. The keeper of history that's so unique that no one else holds, no one else can hold the shared experiences of a family. Um, and it's, it, it is really uh, quite an amazing dynamic. And it's your blood. It's your blood. It's like part, it's all, it's your memory. It's all, you know, and it is weird when that's gone. It's yeah. I mean, I still have to look back and go, oh my gosh, he's not here. Like it's still, you know, takes your breath yeah. away, but yeah. Well, yeah. when people are not here, but then, then, you, but then they... you, you realize what the inspiration was that they provided because Yes. They're the reason that we're together today. So it's a great celebration. That is my brother's legacy. Right. That, that is my brother's legacy to me. My brother's legacy is, you know, I think finding this beautiful group of people in everything ALS and the ALS community at large. And, uh, you know, and the love that we hold for our loved ones and each other. I've always said it's... The, with all the people I've met who have been diagnosed with ALS, it seems like this beast, this disease that I describe as a monstrous beast has some radar for finding the nicest, kindest people. And I, <laughs> to get I, this disease. I, I totally agree. When I, when I visit with families, they are, they are like angels. It's um, when it when this disease comes to your family, your whole family's got a job, and you know usually it's hard, and usually there's a lot of crying going on, but in between the crying and the thankfulness is the acts of kindness that each person gives to that person in the who has the ALS. So I don't think there's any finer group of people that we could get together with because all of us being affected this way makes us all have a common bond and a common vision that this will end one day with a lot of effort on our part. I, I do believe that. I believe that it's, it takes really that, you know, as that whole village kind of takes a village and that's the way it is with this disease. We need our advocacy groups. We need the groups like HARC that supply people with their, their, their needs for daily living and help them with mini grants. We need people who are working on the legislation so people can you know, get the expanded access for uh, 
the pharmaceutical drug set that are out there. Um, we have a former team member, Michelle, who really took that on, Michelle Lorenz and her group. Um, and then, then our group, who I think kind of pulls so much of this together and, and is steering a ship. And I think we're going to pull it all together and find uh, a treatment. And then it's really about the research, right? Our, that's what really what separates us is we're really research driven. And there's other great organizations like CC um, Compassionate Care ALS who really focuses on the care. I mean, everybody plays such an important role. You, you need to do the research to get to the cure, but you need people that are there taking care of. There are know, people who, right, there, there are needs that are, that are not being met right now. And then we have people like Donna York from HARC, Ron Hoffman from Compassionate Care, IML, and there are so many of them. Um, I don't want to just name a few, but, but we will work together. And as our mission, you know, we, we at everything ALS, it's care to cure. We start out by caring with our webinars and giving people the information they need, McFinn's guidance, being available. So many of our team members are available just to talk to people or families who are going through this. And then working with other organizations or directing people, you know, and, and that's, that's how we're going to slay this beast. And I don't feel that any of us are going to rest until we do slay the beast. Thank well, you, Deb, thank you for so being much. Today. This, you know, Deb, your your efforts combined with the rest of us, we are all juicy. We all have the, what do you call the chutzpah that we're going to get this taken care of. So I want to thank you for being a beautiful guest today for us. This this whole organization has brought together such wonderful people. But we need those other people that are around also. So I'd like to just say a little bit to those people who might be listening today that thank you for joining us in this journey of exploration and digging deep into the souls of those affected by ALS and those working tirelessly to put an end to this devastating disease. Your stories and work matter so much to us and to so many. So please keep sharing and continuing to further the research in ALS so we don't see another person suffer. Do you know anyone who suffers from ALS? Are you a researcher, a neurologist, or pharma? If so, we would love to hear from you. For more information, please contact us at everythingals.org or you can contact info at everythingals.org. Thank you so much, Deb, for coming today. Thank you, Lisa. It's always a wonderful event because we're messengers and the message that's coming out is we're on your team and we need you on our team. So we'll see you at our speech project, hopefully. And if we don't, we'll be working for you anyway. So to all of you who have visited with us today, have a fine rest of your day.
and we will see you back at our next podcast. Thank you, Lisa and Deb. Thank you for having me. Thank you both. Bye, all. Okay. Bye. Bye for now.